You can take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11 as well as Genesis 5. So have your Bibles, uh, put something, a marker in there. We're going to look at Hebrews 11 first, then we're going to jump to Genesis 5, then back to Hebrews 11, kind of back and forth. As Dave said earlier, my name is Meldon Lutzer, and I get to be the pastor at Hope Bible Church in Kelowna. And Pastor Chris is preaching in Kelowna right about now, and it is so great to be with you here today. And exciting, it's exciting to see what God is growing and building here in Red Deer. And uh, we came last night and stayed at Luke and Beth Fontaine's. Uh, Luke is my nephew, and so we stayed at their place last night. And Friday night, we rolled into Calgary and stayed with our daughter and son-in-law. And they attend Redemption Calgary North. And uh, we went to, what does everyone do when they come into Calgary dur- during Stampede Week? You go to the Stampede. So we went to the Stampede and got our fill of cowboy hats and strange-looking people and, and, and all of that. It was a, a wonderful time to do that. But hey, it's even more uh, wonderful being here with God's people. Exciting to see what God is doing here. In October 2019... I was part of a Great Commission Collective, the GCC, uh, the network that we are a part of, a church planting network that is intent on planting churches across Canada and around around the world and strengthening uh, leadership within the church. I was part of a tour that stopped here in Red Deer, seeking out possibly interested people in being part of a church plant here in Red Deer. And, uh, and, and then three months later, flew back to Red Deer from, or to Calgary from, from Kelowna in, in January of 2020 to minus 30-something crazy, stupid uh, kind of uh, temperatures. And, and that and was part of the interview process for Chris and Rebecca Gervin, your senior pastor, about him possibly being the senior pastor and the church plant pastor here in Red Deer. And so it's... Again, so exciting to see what God is doing and how he is faithfully building his church. You preach the word of God, you preach God's word faithfully, and and with humility and dependence on the Lord, the Lord will build the church. You don't need fancy gimmicks, and you don't need all kinds of smoke shows or light shows to draw people in. You need the word of God, you need his spirit in a a spirit of humility and, and dependency upon the Lord, and watch what he will do. In, in um, Kelowna, uh, the, the church that we are a part of is, is going to be nine years old this fall, and, and, and we were supported and encouraged so greatly by churches here in Canada, and especially Hope Oakville. And church planting, as, as anyone would attest to as part of the work, it's hard work, and yet God is faithful. And uh, about three months ago now, we launched a campus in the Lake Country, Oyama area. So if you have friends or family in the Vernon, Lake Country, Oyama area, let them know there's a campus of Hope Kelowna there that has been started. And, uh, and, and it is our prayer and our desire that will become a church one day with a pastor who will take that and run with that uh, and, and be faithful to the Lord in that. So, so Pastor Chris is currently preaching right now at our nine o'clock service in Kelowna. And then he will be taken to our campus. He will be driven out there and he will preach there at 10.30 Kelowna time. And then the people in our second service in Kelowna will watch the video of him preaching in the first service. So there's lots of moving parts in that. But again, we we just desire to be faithful as as you folks do. And so we believe fervently with great conviction that the gospel must go forth. And that is why even Chris wanted me to share a little bit, bit of that to get you people reminded that church isn't something we come to be comfortable in. It's the place we come to, to serve, to worship, to hear from God's word, to deploy then the rest of the week on mission for him. And because you're part of the Great Commission Collective, it's going to be about planning churches. So some of you are going to be sent out of here in the years to come. You're like, I like it here. No, because of the mission calls us to be part of, uh, of, uh, of taking the Great Commission, taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into other communities here locally and globally. And, uh, and, and, and our desire, as I believe would be yours too, is to see pillars of truth and hope across Canada and around this world. 
And so this morning, that's just a little advertisement for Great Commission Collective and what God is doing and what he uh, just, and, and it's just such a blessing to, to be encouraged by the work that he's doing here in your midst. Now, as we get to God's word in just a moment, I'm going to start with a picture. This is from our home, and I wonder how many of you would have a wall like this, perhaps, in your home, and a picture wall like this that, that, that just have, has pictures is, of various events and people and situations, and now we're even going to roll a little video that goes along with that, and, and, and as you do that, it's almost like it's a walk down memory lane. As, as you have these pictures and, 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 and memories of people in certain situations. Now, you might not have a picture wall like what we may have in our home, but, uh, but you have photo albums more than likely. You have hard drives. You have pictures on social media. You have cloud space somewhere in the cloud somewhere where you're storing pictures of a family, of friends, of, of special events. And, 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 and for this reason... Every picture tells a story. Every picture that you, you have up on your wall or on your phone, it tells a certain story. Well, Hebrews 11 is very similar to that. Hebrews 11, every picture, every name tells a story, and it's oftentimes referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And, and there's a unique story behind every person mentioned in the Hebrew Hall of in the Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. And yet what we see for all of the people that are listed there some by name and some are nameless but we get a look at a glimpse of these faithful people, we get a picture of them and what we see is we see ordinary people fueled by faith in an extraordinary God. Ordinary people like you and me yet fueled by faith, by having faith in a God who is supernatural, in an extraordinary God. And the message of this chapter over and over and over again is that faith is the only way to approach God. We are forgiven and eternally saved, not by our good works, not by somehow impressing God by doing enough good things or, or because we're not saved because we were born in a religious home and taken to f- church faithfully or because we serve or because we give, of our, give financial resources to, to the Lord's work. We're not saved because we have lived just a, a pretty good life or at least a lot better than my coworker or my neighbor or, you know, that, that's not how we're saved. No, not at all. We are forgiven and we are saved only by faith alone in Christ alone through his grace alone as we call out to him for his mercies. We call out to him for forgiveness and mercy and for salvation. And by faith we believe and we acknowledge that God is a holy God. Our God is a holy God. And we are sinful. And because of our sin, we deserve hell. And yet by faith, when we believe what Jesus Christ came to this earth to do, that he lived and he died, he, 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 he died on a cross, taking, a, 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 taking upon himself a substitutionary death, and he died in our place, and he rose again for our forgiveness and our salvation. And so it's by faith that we are justified and we are reconciled, that we are accepted by God. It is by faith that we continue this journey of faith as we are being sanctified as his children. But when we call out to him as Savior and Lord, that changes everything. And so this is how faith begins. It it, it begins with this cry, this call out to God. And the book of Hebrews was written to people who were facing a lot of guilt and pressure. Many of them were being made fun of or being guilted uh, by the decisions that they were making in choosing to follow Jesus Christ because many of them had left the religious establishment that they had grown up in. And some of you perhaps have been in situations like that. You grew up in a home uh, with a lot of legal and not really the gospel. And and when you found Jesus Christ, when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you have faced guilt or pressure because you've left the faith. You've left the establishment that our family's been a part of perhaps for many generations. And and so this was the pressure that that the people reading this letter originally were facing. But added to that, the Hebrew believers were also facing mounting pressure from society. They were facing pressure and persecution from the government because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they were holding on to the truths of God's word. 
And some of them already, you read about this in Hebrews chapter 10, they were having their possessions that were being seized from them by the government. Some were being thrown into jail, being beaten, and even some being put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And overall, it was getting worse and it was getting worse for them. And, and, and the entire theme of the book of Hebrews, this is Hebrews in a nutshell, if you want to describe Hebrews in three words, is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than, than the old religious system. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Abraham. He's better. He, he's a better. He's a greater high priest. And he is worth following. Jesus is worth putting our hope and our, and our future in. And so we get to Hebrews 11 and we have these heroes, people who faced various trials and, and, and challenges, and yet they trusted God by faith. They had placed their trust in God and they continued to walk with him in faith. And these heroes of faith are heroes, not because of what they did, not because of their heroic efforts, but because they are heroes, because they put their faith and their trust in the word and the ways of God, despite challenging circumstances. And so for that very reason, if you are in Christ, it is very possible for you to also be a hero of faith as we see in Hebrews 11, not because of your awesomeness, not because you're from Alberta. No, and, and, you know, th that doesn't get you any good points with God. It's, it's because you've chosen to put your faith and your trust in him and, and, and not just initially, but continually and you desire to walk with him and he will empower, he will strengthen you, he will strengthen the body of Christ as we follow him. And so Hebrews 11 serves as an encouragement. It's a rallying call as we look at these heroes to not shrink back or be discouraged by what is going on in your family, in your workplace, in society. Don't shrink back. Don't be destroyed. But press into God and his word by faith. And when we do, God will come through in amazing ways. And so today we're going to look at a character that oftentimes we're going to single out one of these heroes. There's very little written about him, and yet there's a lot that we can know about him from God's word. And so we're going to look at one of faith's heroes today. And here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Here's, here's the big idea from our passage today is that faith walks with God. Genuine faith walks with God. And it's just not initially, it's going to see, we're going to see it is continually in our life. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, you can follow along in God's word as I read. And it says in verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to, to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, to get the full story on Enoch, this is where you need Genesis chapter 5. And so we'll learn a little bit more about him. And so get that ready because we're going to be reading from there in a moment. Now, when reading Genesis chapter 5, there's an interesting phrase that gets repeated over and over again. Just take a quick look. Look in the Word of God right now. Look in Genesis 5. What do you see repeated over and over and over through this chapter? Is there a certain phrase? Anyone see that? Anyone? And he died. That's right. And he died. It's kind of like, and you see this, it's kind of like this relentless drumbeat. And he died. And he died. And he died. And Genesis 5 takes us through 10 generations, the first 1,000 years of world history from Adam to Noah. And look at verse 17, for example. It says, thus all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And we see this over and over again, and probably even some of you right now are saying, man, they lived a long time. How awesome. <laughs> or would it be that awesome to live? Could you imagine living 962 you know, uh, years or 895 years? I mean, man, people lived a long time. They must have been into clean living or something. No, that's not it necessarily. Many believe that this was God's provision, allowing people to live for so long for, for mul God's provision for multiplying human population on the earth. And so after the flood, we see that then human lifespans come down rapidly to where we're at today. 
And so we see this over and over again. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Kind of depressing. But we get to Enoch in verse 21. Look at what it says. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he... He was not. He didn't die. It says, for God took him. Huh. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. In Hebrews 11, it doesn't say that Enoch walked with God. It says he, that Enoch pleased God. But pleasing God and walking with God are essentially the same thing. Those two words in the, in, the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those two words, pleasing God and walking with God, are virtually the same word. So it means the same thing. And so what we see in this faithful servant who pleased God, who walked with God, we see three distinct movements from these passages today that we can learn from him. And we mustn't just learn and just have this head knowledge, but we can also take these movements in his life as he walked with God faithfully for 300 years then, and we can apply these truths to our lives. We can examine and say, hey, am I walking like Enoch? Am I pleasing God like Enoch? And if not, we can make the necessary changes so that we would. And the first movement that we see in his life is that a genuine faith, a faith that walks with God, starts with a decisive act. A faith that walks with God starts, number one, with a decisive act. You see, Enoch didn't always walk with God. No one does. I always snicker a little bit, maybe my immaturity, when, when I hear a testimony say, oh, I've known Jesus all my life. I'm like, no, you have Or I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. Uh, you may have been brought up in a good home and you heard the name Jesus and, 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 and came to church faithfully and, and Jesus was always a part of the conversation and the prayers and everything. But everyone must come to a place where it is no longer your parents' faith, your spouse's faith, your pastor's faith, but your own faith. It must become real. There must be this, this decisive act where you decide to faithfully start walking with Jesus Christ. And so for the first 65 years of Enoch's life, he didn't walk with God. He was probably a good person. He was probably very religious. But something happened at the age of 65 that changed it for Enoch. In verse 22 of Genesis 5, it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. All of a sudden, he becomes a dad, and there's a desire, a need for God like he had never had before. And some of you might say, well, if I was a 65-year-old dad, I would be crying out to God for help. Like, how am I going to keep up with this kid, you know? And so maybe kind of thinking along those lines. But again, remember with lifespans and different things, he was just hitting his prime. He was only about one-fifth through a normal lifespan at that time. So he was like probably 18 to 20 years old. So at 18 to 20 years old, he becomes a dad, and all of a sudden, there's a cry for God like there had never been. And so we have a young man trusting God. He became a saved man. He, he came to trust in God by faith. And, in, in, and he trusted in God in the truest sense for his salvation, for the forgiveness of his sin. And he had placed his ultimate hope in God. And therefore, that statement is then clarified or qualified, Enoch walked with God. Even for us, sometimes it's in a season of change. It's in a crisis where all of a sudden our world is turned upside down. We don't know what to do. And perhaps we've exhausted all other pursuits. And we call out to God perhaps for the very first time or else it's in a, in a new way. Maybe we've, we've kind of called out to God and we kind of prayed this prayer, but you just kind of, well, you know, you, you did it at summer camp or VBS or whatever it might have been. But all of a sudden there's this depth, there's this, this depth, this cry that had never been there before. And so in brokenness and in helplessness, there's this cry out to God. Maybe it's you got married and all of a sudden you realize the honeymoon's over. It's like, help, I need God. Or, or you become a parent. And, 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 and I remember just being so overwhelmed when our daughter was born. 
and, and being so excited. And, and I mean, I was so hyper. I mean, I was taking the gas that, that, that they were supposed to give to uh, the wife just to calm me down. Just, you know, like, here, give me some of that. I just, you know, and so And then it was like, ah, oh, look at the, the baby's coming out. Like, it's a boy. And the doctor's like, no, it's a girl. He's like, it's a girl. You know, and, and so excited. But then also the overwhelming nature of being a dad, this responsibility. Or maybe at times we come to this point of brokenness or helplessness when something else happens. It's a health crisis, a a loss of some sort, a financial crisis, the death of a loved one. And we come to this point where we've exhausted everything in our own ability, everything in our own strength and our wisdom. And spiritually and physically, emotionally, it's like we're bankrupt And there's no place else to turn. And sometimes you think, oh, God becomes the last alternative. Yeah, he is the last alternative because he becomes our every hope. And he's not the last alternative. He is our last hope. And so with a cry from the heart by faith, there is this, God, I need you. God, I need you in my life. I need you in a way that that I've never called out, never needed you before for my forgiveness and my salvation. Now, if you look back to Hebrews 11, so flip back to Hebrews 11, verse 6, because it then clarifies just what we're talking about. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please or to walk with or have a relationship with God. But this is the good news. For whoever, whoever, this is so inclusive. Sometimes people say the Bible is so narrow. No, it's for whoever, No matter your background, your culture, no matter what religion you were raised in, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now you say, well, many people believe in God. No, the better way to say that, and many would say, well, I believe there's a God, so I must be saved. No, not at all. That's not a better way to read this would be whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is. As he told Moses when he says, who are you? I am who I am. We believe that he is. We don't go looking for a God of our imagination We don't go looking for a God that suits our lifestyle and our preferences, a God who goes easy on sin and understands, you know, that we're just weak. No, we we, we don't look to a God to suit our preferences. We look at the God of the Bible. We look at the God of the Bible who made himself known to us through the sacred scriptures. And if we are going to walk with him, we must take God at his word. The Bible becomes our only authority in our life. Not some author's writings, not some prophet or prophetess's writings or words that they may speak over you. No, the word of God. It has the authority in our lives. It's believing and putting our faith in what God says in his word and living our lives according to it. Even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it goes against what culture is yelling at us or even goes against what our own flesh wants. No, we submit to God and to his word. And what does he do? What does he do when we do that? When we believe that he is who he is and we believe him according to his word, he says he rewards those who seek him. And how does he reward us? He walks with us. He walks with us from day one then as we shout out in faith and repentance. And he walks us with us faithfully to the end. And so Enoch, at the age of 65, started to walk with God. I wonder today, are you walking with God? Have you come to that place of surrender? Not just religion, not coming to the place of worship, a place, you know, where where it's good to go every once in a while. Have you come to that place of surrender in your heart? And have you, by faith, put your hope and your trust, your life, your future, your past, your present, your, your eternity in the hands of God. If not, do that today. There will be those here at the church that would love to pray for you and with you in that. And so genuine faith begins. It starts with a decisive act. And we see this in the life of Enoch. I trust that you can go back to a time in your life where you chose, made that choice to follow Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him as Savior and Lord. Second of all, walking with God, this walk of faith, it continues with certain sustained actions. 
Number two, we see walking with God, a genuine faith continues with sustained actions. And so, and this means walking the path of holiness. That's one of those sustained actions. Now, this is kind of interesting, and sometimes you don't necessarily, when reading Genesis and hearing the Genesis narrative and everything, you don't necessarily think about this. But, but think about this for a moment. Adam and Eve were Enoch's great, 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 great grandparents. Great, 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 great grandparents. And they would have, and they were still alive at the time that Enoch lived. And so, no doubt, they told Enoch about what it was like to walk with God in the garden, to have unhindered fellowship with him in this incredible garden of Eden. He w- they, they would have told their great, 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 great grandson and grandchildren all about this. But then they no doubt also told him about when they sinned and how they hid from God. They were afraid. And God came looking for them and, 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 and in the garden, like, where are you? Where are you? And they were hiding. He knew, God knew where they were, but he was wanting to draw them out and, and, and see the shame and the guilt that happened. You see, you can't walk with someone very well if you're hiding from them. You can't do that very well if you're lagging behind. You can't walk with someone. And so to walk with God means that we're at peace with God. We're in right relationship with him. That means that any known sin has been confessed and has been forgiven. And we're walking, desiring to walk the path of holiness every day. And so for Enoch, confession and forgiveness would have been a continuing practice in his life, no doubt involving animal sacrifices as he would have heard once again from his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents and what they did. And how an animal was sacrificed so that their sins could be covered over and be atoned for. This results in in a peace in the presence of God when we're walking with God unhindered. Because there's nothing to hide from him. It's an unhindered walk. And loved one, God, God, he never, never, ever deviates from his plan of holiness. If we're going to walk with God and have a meaningful, life-giving relationship with him, we need to be walking the path of holiness. This is a pursuit and desire in our life. (laughs) None of us can live it perfectly. Just ask my family, none of us. But there has to be this desire, if we're going to walk with God faithfully, of, of continuing to grow in purity and holiness. We have a distaste a hatred of sin. But this also means walking the path of God's purposes as we walk with him with this sustained actions, another sustained action. Yes, it's holiness, but also walking God's purposes and God's plans. You see, when you're walking with someone, it means you have the same destination. You're headed the same way. Enoch walked stride for stride with God, following his path, following God's pace, And this is where God's plans and God's purposes become our plans and our purposes. So oftentimes, we have our plans, we have our goals, we have our dreams, and then we kind of consult God or just ask him then to bless us. No, it's getting on God's agenda and God's plan for our lives and keeping in step with him in that. And so we walk, we live our lives for his glory. And, and this ends up leading to another path that, that we follow along with God. Another aspect is, is we walk the path of God's pleasure as we continue in this way. David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says that at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And heaven is going to be a place of great joy. And those that walk with God by faith will taste those eternal pleasures one day. But it's not just a one-day thing. There can be an ongoing conscious enjoyment of the presence of God in our lives today. That's something God desires to, 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 to bestow upon his children, his presence, his peace. This also means that walking and going through life with God Faithfully following him means that there's going to be concern for others. We're going to live our lives with a concern for others, not just for ourselves. Enoch was concerned for those around him. He walked with God 300 years in a culture that was rapidly disintegrating. You go from Adam and Eve and the start of Genesis, and we just see uh, just within 
short period of time, relatively, a world that is disintegrating. And, and Enoch walked with God in a disintegrating cult- culture. The world he lived in was incredibly corrupt, so corrupt that God would soon drown the entire world in judgment. And it says in, in Genesis chapter 6, just the next chapter over in verse 5, it says that prior to the flood, now listen to this. Does this sound familiar to something we might be hearing and seeing today? Look at the condition of the world before the flood, that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Sounds so familiar. Where the intentions and the thoughts of people's hearts are just for evil. Where up is down and down is up and right is wrong and wrong is right and left is right and right is left. It's just so confusing. And Enoch was no doubt concerned about their leadership. There was some sort of government or leadership from the early beginnings, and so no doubt he was concerned about the leadership that, that was leading in their culture, just as we can be concerned about our government and, and, and our leadership in these days. And remember the people that were receiving this here in, in Hebrews. They were discouraged because things were getting tough for them. Persecution was starting, and it was only going to get worse. And even for us, maybe we find ourselves at times discouraged, distraught over all that is happening in our culture, the political, the moral state of our nation. And yet in Enoch's time in a disintegrating culture, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. He stayed faithful. And you know what? He didn't stay silent either. He lived with a concern for others, warning others of the judgment to come. And you say, how do you know that? Well, God's word shows us this. And here's something pretty interesting. Now, Enoch's son was Methuselah. What a great name, hey? Like, you hear some interesting names these days. I mean, Meldon, that's a unique name. And, uh, but Methuselah, you know, may, maybe that name should be brought back. You know, some, uh, well, no, the short form for that wouldn't be so good. Hey, Meth, can, no, you, you, you don't want to go there, right? But so, so he has this son, Methuselah, lived 969 years. What is he known for? Anyone know what he's known for? Living the longest, right? He's longest living man in the history of this world. I went in Guinness Book of World Records, and for some reason they didn't mention that. You know, they mentioned someone who lived like 130 years or something. Like, uh uh-uh, wrong. Uh, Methuselah lived 969 years. And interestingly, now his name, Methuselah, means a man of the sending forth. You go, what does that mean? Well, Bible commentators, including A.W. Pink, says that his name means when he is dead, it shall be sent. Great name for a kid, hey? When he is dead, it shall be sent. What shall be sent? Judgment. Judgment shall be sent. And so you see, God revealed to Enoch in a prophecy that when his son, Methuselah, would die, judgment would come. And you know what? That happened. God is true to his word. Now, accountants, thankful for accountants, but oh, what a boring job you have. I I so love you and appreciate you. What a a great partner in ministry is one of those boring accountants, and and I love the work that that he does in our church and that, but accountants will tell you the numbers tell the story, and that's that's something that gets (laughs) accountants excited, I guess. Ooh, numbers. Uh, They tell the story. Awesome. Well, in this case, the numbers here, the dates in God's word so beautifully tell us a beautiful story. And when you take all of the years of the genealogies from Adam to Noah, we find out that when Methuselah died at 969 years of age, he died in the same year that his grandson Noah finished the ark. Just as God said, and because what happened when Noah finished the ark? The flood came. The flood came. God said that his son, that, that, that Enoch's son w- w- would mean a man of the sending, the man sending forth of the judgment that when he is dead, it shall be sent. And so Enoch lived probably every time his son got sick and thought he might die 
Or maybe he did something foolish, you know, falling off his cart or something like that. And he's like, is he going to die? And, and if so, judgment's coming. And indeed, the flood came the same year that Methuselah died, the same year that Noah finished the ark. And God destroyed the entire earth in judgment. Now, Methuselah didn't live to 969 years just so that he could set the world record for being the world's oldest man. No, he lived for so long because it's a picture to to us of God's mercy. God's word tells us that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. And God was holding back the judgment. He wanted people to be warned. He wanted them to be told that turn back to God. And we'll withhold judgment, but no one was. And finally God said, enough. And judgment came. It was God's mercy. That's why he lived for so long. But the people didn't listen. Enoch saw the conditions of the world. He knew that judgment was coming. But Enoch didn't run and head for the hills and just decide to live off a grid and just kind of make a little little, uh, safe place for him and his family for when judgment would come. He just didn't go like, oh, well, and just, no, he lived with a sense of urgency and a concern for others. He had a visible and he had a very vocal faith. Enoch spoke for God. He warned of the judgment to come and how people needed and could be in a right relationship with God. You say, how do you know this? Well, he's quoted in in Jude 14 and 15. He's quoted there. He's he's been given by God some some prophetic glimpses of the day of the Lord that is to come. Plus, there's extra biblical writings attributed to Enoch where he spoke boldly and loudly of God's coming judgment and, and how we must respond. People must respond in repentance. Enoch walked with God. He spoke for God. He spoke the truth of God in a rapidly declining culture. Are we doing the same? Loved ones, do we realize that this world is sitting under judgment yet again? Read what God's word has to say. We're sitting under judgment. And the day of the Lord is approaching. You've probably heard the statement that if God doesn't soon bring judgment on North America for our sin and for the way that we celebrate and flaunt sexual sin and and such outright debauchery all over and and, and the killing of the unborn or the maid, which is becoming so common these days, the medical assistance in dying or or a culture that removes parents' rights to care for their children and have say in their lives, the ungodly ideologies running rampant throughout the media and culture and through entertainment industry, the false teaching in the church, that if God doesn't soon do something, if God soon doesn't judge North America in particular, that soon he may have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for destroying them in their wickedness that we see in Genesis 19. Our only hope is, is for repentance, for national repentance, And that doesn't start with Mr. Trudeau or Joe Biden or Premier Smith. I can't remember the name of the Premier. Evie, I think, is the name of the BC. It doesn't start there. The repentance, it starts with the house of God. It starts with his people where he says, if my people call on his name, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, we're so proud We want others to humble themselves. We want others to serve us, take care of us. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, then you will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. He will will back off from the judgment that's coming. This is a promise we see in God's word. It starts with the house of God. But sadly, for many in the church, So oftentimes we want to walk with God. We want to have our fire insurance. We want to make sure, you know, there's been enough that's happened spiritually in our lives in case something happens. And so we walk with one foot with God, one foot in the church, and one foot in the world, our own path, our own agenda. Are we living with this constant awareness like Enoch of the coming judgment upon our world? Children or grandchildren. I don't know if anyone here in Kelowna, we have a pretty old culture there, and so we have lots of great-grandparents. And, and, and it's like, what about them? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we praying? Are we sharing the good news? Are we telling? Are we warning others? Are we about our father's business or are we about our own business? 
Is it about his work or is it our work? If there's time left over, I'll see what I can give to the Lord in my time, in my treasure, in my talents. Are we caring? Are we leading? Are we teaching? Are we serving Christ? Are we serving the next generation? One of the most important ministries in this church is your redemption kids. Training them in the word of God. Teaching them faithfully the word of God. They're hearing it in the home. They're hearing it by by people who love them and care for them in the ministry that they're a part of here on Sunday mornings. Or are we just sitting comfortable in a really hot church? Like, man, you guys know how to turn up the heat here in Alberta. This is good. Uh, But Enoch walked. He walked with God and his words, his walk and his work honored God. His faith was visible and it was vocal. I trust we would be the same. And so a faith that walks with God like Enoch, a faith that, God, that walks with God that is then infused with supernatural strength and power from, from our God, it starts with that decisive act. It continues with sustained actions that we just talked about. And thirdly, it ends when God takes us home. It ends when God says it will end and not a second sooner. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Enoch one day was there, and then one day he was not. One day he was out doing his work, and then he just disappeared. I like how one young child described what happened to Enoch. This is so beautiful, and only in the words of a child could describe it so beautifully. One day, God and Enoch went on a long walk. They went so far that God said, look, it's just too far for you to go back home. So just come home with me. So Enoch walked home with God. Enoch became forever what death is like for the believer in Christ. He gives us this beautiful picture. Death for the believer in Christ is Christ taking us home. Death for the believer in Christ means that the very second your last breath, your eyes close, your heart stops, it means that within the very millisecond, there's no soul sleep or anything like that, you, you go right into the presence of God just in that instant. You see it so beautifully that one day he was, was walking with God on this earth and the next moment he was walking with God in heaven. Death for the believer is simply Christ taking us home. It's compared to, I love this illustration of it, death is like a river that separates us from the presence of God in heaven. For all believers in Christ, there's, a, there's heaven, but there is this river in between, and death is like that river. And all believers who have trusted in Christ for their salvation, in Christ alone, we're going to have to cross that river at some point. Unless... Those who are alive, when Christ comes in glory, they'll be, in a split second, taken across the river. But until that happens, we will all pass through the river. Some of us, it may be a sudden passing. It may be in an accident. All of a sudden, we're alive and doing well, and all of a sudden, we're gone. We will still pass through that river safely to the other side. And for others, it will be perhaps a slow swim across the river. It may be slow. It may be painful. Yet God will be with us. But Enoch did not, he did not go through the river. God picked him up and took him across the river. And as I said, most of us will go through the river. But either way, Christ is the one who will take us home, who will be with us all the way, giving us his peace, his strength, his presence, oh, that we would walk faithfully to the end, every one of us, like Enoch. Now, God in his grace has given us some modern-day Enochs in our lives, men and women who have loved, who have served God and walked with God faithfully to the end. We have the Hebrews Hall of Fame, and many of us could probably look at our own lives and see the faithful Enochs and women who have been faithful like Enoch as well. Pete Unruh was one of those Enochs in my life. He was an Enoch to me and to countless many through the years of ministry. He entered my life about 11 years ago. 
when the ministry of the church we were serving the Lord in at the time was literally crumbling in our path. Pete, being a retired pastor, had reached out to me during that time. And quite honestly, I kind of thought, I don't have time for this. This church, ministry, future, everything is just crumbling. I don't have time to connect with some old pastor. I'm sorry I thought that. But he also claimed in, in the voicemail message, remember he did answering machines we had one 11 years ago. He left this, this kind of long answering machine, like he wanted message on the answering machine that he wanted to get together because he knew my in-laws from the very first pastorate that he, that he was at just outside of Saskatoon, where we'll be heading to Saskatoon later on today to see my in-laws. And, and he actually practiced baptizing my father-in-law. Um, because Pete was a new pastor and he never baptized anyone and they're going to have some baptisms on Sunday. So he took him down to Eagle Creek and he took and he was practiced baptizing my father-in-law. I'm glad he didn't hold him down because then I wouldn't have my wife. And I mean, sometimes after we were married, I thought just should have held him down a little longer, but he didn't. And so he has this history. And then he told, told me how he taught at Briarcrest with my uncle and they served together there on staff for a season and how my uncle was also helpful when they both pastored in the States. When Pete went through a hard time, he went and cried on my uncle's shoulders. And soon I realized that this Pete would be an Enoch in my life and for myself and for Shirley. He, and he or my wife, Charlotte, he and his wife, Shirley, served the Lord faithfully together for many years. And this was a picture just taken within the last year. Together, they were steadfast through trials, through storms and through blessings through the losing of an 11-year-old grandson to cancer. He was steadfast. He was a steadfast Enoch, a man who walked with God and spoke words of hope and love and truth. And as we were going through that, he wasn't just, just giving me just great words of encouragement. There were some rebukes in there as he was saying, hey, God's got you on this path. He would preach at times in our new church that was starting in Kelowna just to give me a break. He would sometimes preach. And up until last year, he would send text messages. He was quite, tech, well, somewhat tech savvy. But he would send text messages with a scripture verse to over 200 people every day, five days a week. And it would take him many hours. You say, well, he's a slow texter. Like, didn't he know you can copy and paste? Yeah, he knew how to copy and paste. But every time he sent another text message, he would stop and pray specifically for that person to over 200 people. And he would sign those text messages with these words, your spiritual bodyguard, Pete. Faithful, faithful to the end. A few weeks ago, I sat with him at Hospice House in Kelowna as the Lord was taking him home. And the Lord chose to take Pete slowly through the river. When I visited him, we called my uncle in Chicago and the two, it was pretty sweet to listen in on these two 80-plus-year-old men saying their earthly goodbyes to one another. Something I won't forget for the rest of my life. And then I, as I was about to leave, I recorded Pete's declaration, and with permission of his family, um, I'm going to show you just a little bit of it. Did you get that? Jesus is still my Lord, and the Bible is still my guide. It's all about Jesus. It's about his word, faithful to the end. And it was about a week later that he crossed and made it to the other side of the river, faithful to the end. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And just with your heads bowed and just a time of personal reflection, this is a good time to examine our lives in light of God's word today. Enoch walked by faith. He walked with God in the midst of a corrupt culture in one of the most difficult periods in world history. And he kept his life pure. He spent his life living for what truly mattered. And his faith, his walk with God, became a beacon of light in a world of darkness. So loved ones here at Redemption Red Deer, I ask you today, have you started that walk of faith? Have you confessed your sins 
to Jesus Christ? Is he the Savior and Lord of your life? If not, do that today. Do it today. Or perhaps you started walking with God, but you're perhaps lagging behind. You're hiding from him because of areas of sinfulness that you know are not patterns in your life that are not pleasing to God. Or you've decided, yeah, I've been walking with God, but right now I'm walking my own path. Repent, confess, and God will take you back in in such a sweet way and, and walk alongside with you, and you walk with him. And so sadly, so oftentimes when we go through difficult or rough spots and seasons in our life, we often turn away from God and not towards him. But as his word says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In a culture in Canada that's rapidly declining, are we living, are we declaring the truth? Are we warning others? Are we speaking the truth in love? Do we have a visible and a vocal faith? Are we living for God's mission or are we living for our own self-interest? And I wonder, loved ones, as we will soon be partaking of the Lord's Supper, is it your desire to be faithful to the end? If so, tell him right now. Tell him that's your heart desire and confess, repent where necessary. I'll give you a moment just to have this time alone with the Lord, and then I'll close. God, in light of your word today and a faithful example that ultimately points us to Jesus who was perfectly faithful and obedient and spoke the truth and love to others, even now as we take time to examine our own hearts and repent where necessary and make the adjustments in our lives today and this week that would cause us to walk faithfully side by side with you. We cry out to you for help. You are our only hope. And God, I pray for each person here that as we examine our lives, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we too would determine that we, by God's help, God's grace, God's strength, we would live faithful to the end. Bless this church, each family, each person represented here. Oh God, may you be glorified, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week in this part of central Alberta. Would we see and hear of a great turning to you in this area through the work of your faithful servants here? We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.